Zealotry is often not that far from idolatry. Anytime violence becomes an option to propagate God's will, you know you've taken that step into a spiritual twilight zone. But if you're still listening and truly seeking God's will, you may have to first be blinded by the light. Offering information for your mind. Enabling transformation for your heart. A weekly dialogue exploring God's word and its application for today's world. Sabbath School U. Thank you all for joining us for this session of Sabbath School University. I'd like for you to each to introduce yourself and tell me what your favorite day of the week is and why. Okay. okay. Um, I'm Andrea, and my favorite day of the week is probably Friday because I don't have to work, but it's still the beginning of the weekend, so I have lots to look forward to. Wonderful. I think my favorite day of the week is Thursday because on Thursday nights I get to play volleyball and oh. I love volleyball, so it's something to look forward to all week. So it's my favorite day of the week. What's your name? Oh, and my name is Kathy. Yes. <laughs> nice to meet you, Kathy. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> my name's Rich, and my favorite day of the week is Wednesday just because it's kind of a good point to look back over what's been and then look forward to the weekend. Right, wonderful. Thursday for me is also my favorite. I don't work on Friday, so it's kind of like a good excuse to stay up late and sleep in the next morning mm -hmm. and um, kind I'm, of the start of my weekend. I'm so glad none of us cheated and said Sabbath. Yeah, for real. Because okay. that's a, a given. Especially the yeah. pastor. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. My real favorite day is right. Saturday. <laughs> um, Andrea, would you mind reading for us our key test, mm -hmm. text and then praying for us? Sure. Thank you. Um, our text is in Acts 9 verses 15 and 16, and I'm reading in the New Living Translation, it says, But the Lord said, Go and do what I say, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for me. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much that you're here with us, and I just pray that your Holy Spirit will um, be with our hearts and minds as we take a look at this lesson. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, so the title of the lesson that we are discussing today is Paul, the background and call. Dum, okay. dum, dum. The background and call for Paul. <laughs> I am a poet. You, are, didn't, know you didn't know it. Okay. <laughs> so our first question is, what do we know about Paul based on the knowledge that he was a Pharisee? So we're trying to figure out Paul's background and the call. Right. Based on the fact that he was a Pharisee, what do we know? He was smart, obviously. Okay. <laughs> smart. Yeah, he was very smart when it come when it came to um, matters pertaining to Old Testament law, okay. uh, specifically the first five books of the Bible. Um, by the age of twelve, it's very likely that Paul had, if not all, the greater portion of those books memorized, mm. which well, is saying something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just a little bit. Impressive. Yeah. 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 I, I thought it was interesting. It seemed like the lesson said something about how because he was a Pharisee, he was married. And I yeah. hadn't ever heard that before. M myself uh, either. That was a, a new revelation to right. me. Right. Yeah. And know. it's interesting that if he was married, you begin to wonder, you know, if there was also something about him being a Pharisee that limited his ability or willingness to bring her up a lot or anything like that. Um, because not only was he uh, inundated with matters of the law, but also tradition right. and customs. I mean, if Paul were here and we were talking to him about Pharisaism, I mean, he would be able to literally take us to school. Can you say that word again? Pharisaism. I've never said that <laughs> word. Pharisaism. I can't. I won't even try. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> when, I, when I heard that he was married, I had never consciously thought about, maybe right. if I heard it, maybe I missed it, that he had a spouse. Right. right. So like this God. really changes the entire concept of who I had in my mind as Paul, because now mm -hmm. I see him as a husband. I never yeah. really 
thought about that. Yeah, definitely. Well, when I think of Pharisee, just um, for the way that we talk about it um, within the church, when you hear the word Pharisee, you automatically think negative. Mm. Um, and I'd like to believe that it wasn't all negative. Mm. And so it was just a, a different spin in the lesson um, to see the positive side about being Pharisee and right. being smart and being well-educated and, and, and being the, a spouse. And, these yeah. were, and being a Pharisee meant you were kind of like staunch yeah. mm. in the law. So mm. that he was like strict. And, and sometimes we kind, of, we kind of, like you said, see that as a negative thing. I kind of wanted to see, I want to know what that looked like for the people living in that time. Did they see them as fanatics? Did they see them as, you know, over the top? Or was that just what, you know, it should have looked like and everybody else was just off? The right. norm. Off, yeah. Mm. So, um, so we're kind of shaping this, this background of who Paul is mm -hmm. based on the definition of him being a Pharisee. Mm -hmm. What other things might help shape that identity? Well, kind of to your point, I think that in that culture and community, um, being a Pharisee was actually something admirable. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wouldn't be uncommon for parents to kind of see a guy like Paul and have their son want to model his example. Someone who, uh, I guess, made it their goal to be righteous and not just having right standing with God, to, but to be right when it came to how they live. They wanted to be models in society, models in church, models in the community. I mean, when you saw a Pharisee, it was almost akin to seeing maybe a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, okay. you know, dressed to the nines, nice suit, hair and everything done well. I mean, you knew this person was educated, you knew they spoke well. And so, I mean, it was kind of like, yo, that's, that's Paul. Yeah, he just recently graduated, top of the class, you know? And he's a Pharisee. He's a Pharisee, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, can I, yeah. where, can I get your autograph? Absolutely. So it was something that was admirable and esteemed as opposed to something that may be a little bit more traditional nowadays where it's kind of like, oh. Mm -hmm. yeah, so maybe Pharisee. like through the generations, we've mm -hmm. kind of lost the, maybe the esteem that it had. We, we know what they were, how they were right. interacted with, but we kind of maybe ourselves impose like a negative thing on yeah. it. Okay, so. In, the neck, in, that, in what way was Paul's conversion experience linked to his missionary calling? Mm. Mm -hmm. It's a great question, great question. I love how Acts chapter 9 brings up his conversion experience. Okay. I mean, the strictness that you spoke about him being a Pharisee kind of drove him to kind of go on this mission of uh, indicting people who believed in this just, just fanatic Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then this bright light kind of blinds them. And so initially, I mean, that portion alone speaks to me about a link between his conversion and missionary calling that he was called to shine light mm -hmm. in dark places. Or another way to put it is to open the eyes of the blind, right. mm -hmm. particularly the blind who thought that they were doing God's will but didn't realize that they weren't. That was his condition. And so God now calls him and says, this is how I'm going to use you. So that's one thing that I think about in terms of that link. Okay. Well, I just think it gives him a background. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you go out into your mission, whatever it may be, it mm -hmm. might be, you know, in your neighborhood, it might be in another country, you need some kind of background. Mm -hmm. And I think his conversion, the, the fact that it was so large and so um, just impactful, right. uh, drove him to his missionary work being so much more passionate, I guess. Right, right. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like he knew, like he knew what he was talking about when he, when he went across to talk to the Gentiles specifically. Um, he had mm -hmm. a background to be like, you know, this is what is important and this is what's not. Right. Basically. And, and one of the things that stands out to me is, um, what, imagine going to a mission field mm -hmm. 
and maybe he didn't see it this way, but maybe this was what his, um, the impetus behind his efforts were. Mm -hmm. you, you think you have to change a certain thing, you have to address a certain issue, mm -hmm. but then it's revealed that you're actually, you've got it, you've got it wrong just a little right. bit. Mm -hmm. So now you have to try to understand the very thing that you thought Definitely. was your purpose to eradicate. And then you have to accept that wholeheartedly. So the question is, how do you how do you fully minister to a people you don't understand? Mm. Wow. Do and so that? his conversion experience sure. kind of was an enlightenment experience as mm. well that aided in the strength of his ministry, it mm. seems. Sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's amazing when you think of the confidence that Paul emerges with after this conversion experience. Right. I believe scripture says in Acts 9 that he was literally blind for about three days. Right. And you can only imagine what must be going through the mind of Paul in these three days. And remember, we suggested that he might have really had the greater portion of the Old Testament, those books of the law, memorized. Right. Mm -hmm. So is it possible that in these three days, he's kind of like <laughs> flipping through the pages of like, scripture wait, wait, in his mind, like, where did I go wrong? Yeah. Like, how did I miss this? Yeah. How did I not know that he was actually the Messiah? Right. And so, you know, it's almost like he was blind so that he could actually see when his sight was restored. Mm -hmm. And he leaves, I think, like a horse out of the gate, like, mm -hmm. I got it, right. let's go. Right. You know, mission change, rerouted, the GPS is recalculated, and now I know where I'm supposed to be going. So, right. mm -hmm. And imagine the humility that must have to come from that revelation, from, yeah. that, mm -hmm. from that aha moment, mm -hmm. I think we can call it. It's like... All of the interaction you have now with all of these people, yeah. you've immediately had to rechannel that right. that, yes. that that perspective, and so now you can't. You can still come at them with the same fervent approach, mm -hmm. but now it has to be with like you still approach them with an the indignation. But now it's almost like asking to be received with this message instead of you know enforcing mm, what definitely. he thought was what was what the right message was. And so I, I imagine I kind of try to think about what that those interactions look like after the fact. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Well, Has that ever happened to you before? Where you've had to reacquaint yourself with people on a new premise or a new foundation? After like maybe perhaps you thought you knew and you addressed the situation but when you found out maybe you were wrong or you didn't have it the whole picture. Oh man. I, yeah. <laughs> I think that as, sorry, as, as humans, um, not saying that it's right, but we do that all the time. We mm. have a perspective of something and we think that we know um, what it is until we get knee deep into yeah. it and we're like, well, well, well that wasn't right. right. Um, and I think that going back to what you were saying, that the, that period where he was blind, I feel like sometimes we need to take a step back and make ourselves blind right, like, right. and just dedicate some time, literal time, um, to reevaluating what our mission is, reevaluating what, how our walk is with God. Are we in the right thing? Yeah, we're going to church every day, every Saturday or whatever. Um, but is it, is it what we're supposed to be doing? Are we fulfilling what God wants us to do here on earth? And I right. think that that period of blindness, sure. um, we all need at some right. point in time. And I, th I think it also takes humility is what you mentioned. And I think sometimes that does take a uh, intentional stepping outside of your comfort zone, mm -hmm. whether that's even, I mean, sometimes that can be as easy as like moving somewhere. I mean, maybe you don't, not um, intentionally making that decision, but anytime that you're stepping out um, by faith mm -hmm. and you're meeting a new people group, um, they may even be in the same culture, but, but before you start into um, trying to change everything, you just realize like, 
yeah, you, you have to come at it with humility and realizing right. what, what's needed first. And I find it interesting, one of, and I think, Kathy, you could share a brief perspective on it too. Missionaries, when they go out, you wow. know, they think, they may think they know what their purpose is. Right. Mm -hmm. So they go out there with their mission mm -hmm. to accomplish. And then when they get to the community or they get to the, the population that they're supposed to be reaching, they find that there's a different need and maybe the approach needed to meet that need is sure. completely different than what they had been propagating or what they had been mm -hmm. uh, teaching or expecting. Yeah, it's a... You were. It's a, <laughs> my parents, yeah, yeah. were uh, missionaries. Well, they are missionaries. Mm -hmm. And so... Yeah, I mean, we every time they go into a new country, um, it's a certain perspective. You know, you Google the country, um, you try to find out, yeah. you know, what their cultures are and what. But when you get out there, the needs are are different, and it does. It's a humbling experience because sometimes you have to strip away everything that you thought you knew, and you know, get drenched in a new um, yeah. perspective of your. And, and it doesn't mean you forget about what your original stance was, mm -hmm. but now you get to reshape it to include yeah, what your purpose is yeah. supposed Definitely. to, to mm -hmm. be. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's powerful, I think, as we, as we determine how that link is made for, for Paul. Our next question is, how did Paul's background as a Pharisee and respected Jewish leader help his Christian ministry? So we, we kind of just touched on that. Sure. Mm -hmm. So let's expand a little bit more. His, um, his background, how did that help expand his Christian ministry? Okay, so if I, as a single Adventist, go to a um, convention for single Adventists yeah. and get advice. Because those are always awesome. <laughs> they are. Um, you would know, right? I, I don't know why this is my example that I'm giving. But, no, it's okay. Um, and I go to a sing single convention, right. and the person that is speaking to me is a single Adventists themselves, and they... Oh, giving the seminar. Yeah, giving the seminar. Oh, They've okay. never been in a relationship for longer than a month. Okay. And they're encouraging me that I will find the right person. What, like, what background, like, what, why would I believe them, right. you know? So, not saying that I wouldn't, but I'm yeah. just saying, like, I think... How Paul's much weight background, does it hold? Yeah, yeah, Paul's background gives him... Credibility. Credibility gives him weight as to what... Um, you know, he's like, I've been there. I know what it's like to be on that side, but you're in the wrong side. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. So okay, mm -hmm. definitely. I think it um, prevented him from having, like you mentioned, a one-dimensional testimony right. as someone who has never been wrong or someone who's never been misdirected or misguided by sincere zeal. I mean, mm -hmm. Paul had a certain genre of ambition that pushed him to do what he thought was right. right. But that same zeal and ambition, I believe the Lord saw and said, okay, if we can just kind of redirect him, then he can get him on the right path. So that mixed with humility when he now approached, mm -hmm. the, you know, the single advent, he says, listen, um, Kathy, right? Yeah, I'm Paul. So I've been where you were, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you're wrong, but I think there's a better way. And you're like, really, you've, you've been where I was? Yeah, I was. And he kind of shares his testimony, this is where I was, and, you know, I think that this is where we should be going. Um, not only his education, but his own experience mm -hmm. gave him credibility. So it's like, this guy doesn't just know information. He's right. been transformed, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's why I loved your analogy. Mm -hmm. Because it's the credibility behind the experience, the authenticity mm -hmm. yes. that can be shared and expressed. Which is why 
yeah, we don't have to know everything as Christians, but we have to have a basis yeah. of understanding, and yeah. we have to have something that we can speak to. That's what I was going to say. Rich kind of touched on um, education. He he was educated. Mm -hmm. He yeah. knew uh, the Old Testament, mm -hmm. so therefore, when making an argument, he could pull the Old Testament out of his back pocket and just say, well, I know this. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And I think that as Christians, sometimes we fail to do that. Like, right. I know I've gotten in discussions with unbelievers where I'm like, oh, I know it's in the Bible somewhere, but I don't know where it is and I don't know how to quote it. Right. Um, and I think that's where we fail. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that his background and the fact that he went through that mm -hmm. gave him that, sure. you know, that weight. And right. I think too, like what Paul was at such a transitional point in the church from going from like this is a small Jewish sect to mm -hmm. we now include the Gentiles. Right. Um, that was a huge step and I think that was really difficult for the church to accept, especially right. the, the leaders, even the disciples struggled with that. Mm -hmm. So Paul, out of all people, could be the bridge because mm -hmm. um, he's the one who could say, look, I know the law, I know exactly what it says and mm -hmm. yet I know what Jesus says. I know that, that mm -hmm. there is a tie here and we do need to include the Gentiles. So I feel like he was uniquely suited because of his background. It, it did, like, you know, the credibility. Um, and also being the one transition. after them, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when, when we think about how we link that to something relevant today, how many times we find ourselves needing to engage in the populace outside of what mm -hmm. we think is our mission field? Come on now. <laughs> and we just, we get it wrong. Yeah. We just yes. keep missing the point. What if we all had that Paul conversion experience? We, we took off the blinders. We mm -hmm. made ourselves blind for a moment right, right. just so that in the new light we can see what our actual purpose is. So this is like by? one of my favorite subjects to talk about. Wonderful. Right. Because talk about it. <laughs> because uh, sometimes as uh, Christians, we find ourselves in a little bubble mm -hmm. where we are ministering to ourselves mm -hmm. when we are not called to minister to ourselves we're wow. called to minister outside our little bubble mm -hmm. and it is so taboo i don't know if i'm using the right word but taboo to go out into places where as christians we shouldn't be seen with these people wow. we shouldn't be talking to these people right. mm -hmm. and in reality we are. We should be. Yeah. Now, obviously, we have to know where our limits are. What your if, purpose is. In what, being yeah, what your purpose yeah. is. And uh, if you're going to get more influenced by them, then sure. you are going to do the influencing. But why are we so scared to do that, mm -hmm. I feel like? I, I love that you asked that because it transitions to our next question. And transitioning to questions is just the best. So great. <laughs> when it happens here? naturally, it's just great. So it's like, how did Paul's background as a Pharisee, excuse me, why is our attitude toward people so critical in how we approach mission? I think mm -hmm. that's what we're talking about here now. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. when you look at Paul, he was speaking to churches. Definitely. He was speaking to believers. Mm -hmm. And he was helping to reshape their perspective and approach mm -hmm. for even outside of their comfort zones. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that... Um, I think that a lot of evangelical approaches sometimes thinks that the way Paul spoke to believers mm -hmm. is how we should speak to non-believers mm. or unbelievers. Wow. Mm -hmm. And we kind of miss that, that detail. Mm -hmm. what, a lot of what Paul was speaking to was an experience of a misguided approach to Right. What a believer should believe in. Right. right. But then we also have a second group of people, like say the Gentiles, who maybe perhaps didn't believe or didn't know. Mm -hmm. How yeah. do they 
interact with that same message, mm -hmm. not having a basis of understanding. Or, yeah, starting from somewhere different. And I really think we have to start including that into how we shape our attitude towards the approach to mission. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, many times I believe that our approach to mission is guided by a false assumption that people who quote unquote should know, do know. Um, and so, you know, I approach a person with the Bible in hand and all the principles and the um, doctrines, if for lack of a better word, that scripture presents and assume that, you know, come on, don't you know there's a better way? Mm -hmm. And that kind of approach, that, you know, kind of high approach looking down can really be not only intimidating, but unattractive because right. it's like, wait, you know, yeah, no why else. would I right. know this? Um, Using the missionary metaphor, there are some countries where you would go to and certain things that are so just everyday airplanes, Mercedes Benz, mm -hmm. you know, you never heard of a Mercedes Benz? You, you never been in an airplane? And it's mm -hmm. like, what's that? And already you've lost common ground because you've assumed that they're informed by way of knowledge and experience of something that you yeah, are familiar assume. with. Right. Uh -huh. And you can't make those assumptions, particularly with the gospel. Right. That's why it's always refreshing when God takes you aside and allows you to see anew. So now you have a fresh experience and a yeah. fresh approach to say, I'm not going to make these assumptions. In fact, I'm going to assume that, you know, you don't know or you might not be connected. And that's what Paul was able to do seamlessly when he was in the presence of those who were familiar. He can kind of be a little bit more stern and right. put his foot down. Absolutely. But he also knew how to put on a different coat when he's in the presence of those who did not know right. Right. and approach it by finding some semblance of common ground to say, you know, you believe this well, have you ever thought about it this way? And right. so, well, look at Jesus when he was here on earth. Absolutely, say, he, yeah. absolutely. Here we go. He chilled. He yeah, chilled, he with, chilled with his homies. Right. Um, right. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I don't know yeah. why I said it like that. Um, but he like hung out with people. He mm -hmm. talked to them, got to know them. Wow. He healed first, and then he preached. Mm -hmm. You know, and we're honestly sometimes we are not called to pull out our our. Bibles right away and because mm -hmm. you don't ever want to approach that. Why, why would you? Well, think of it as yourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you came to me and started preaching to me and telling me what I'm doing wrong mm -hmm. versus just talking to me, mm -hmm. I would get defensive. Right. Therefore, I would not listen to what you have to say. Right. Um, if you came to because me, how do you know? How do you know to accept what I, is wrong if you don't know? what is considered to be wrong. Exactly. Right. I can't just come to you and be like, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Like, what are you talking about? I got to give you something. Yeah, you got to relate to me first. Right. Talk to me about sports. Right. And then find a way to insert sports into what you're trying to tell me. Right. You know, that was just an example. Yeah, well, basically, you're speaking someone's language. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. You know, it's interesting, if I might, mm -hmm. um, Christ rarely introduced himself initially. Right. And he didn't come out, my name's Jesus, right. I'm son of Mary, da, 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 da. you know, you know, <laughs> he here's my one. resume, here are my I'm credentials. Speaking. I kind of created all this. Right. No, he, um, Entry. He, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. Yeah. Um, he would really interact, <laughs> he would really interact with people, right. like you said, finding common ground. And then people would ask him, right. who are you? Right. Yeah. And I'm wondering, is it possible to get to a place where I don't have to lead with who I am, right. my credentials, who I'm affiliated with, and just by way of interactions, just like, Hey man, what, what, who are you? Yeah. You know, it's like, oh well, you know, uh, right. I'm glad you asked. You right. know what I mean? And yeah. then, I mean, Jesus would often tease it out of the disciples, like, who are, who are people saying that I am? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, who do you say? I am? Who do I? And that's his thing. But before he lays a foundation of just a lived example that says, just the way this brother rolls, yeah. kind of makes right. me want to, you know, follow him. Yeah. So, right. I love that. Our next question is, which of our Christian beliefs seem to conflict most sharply? 
with the surrounding culture. Now, I mm. think we could probably spend quite some time on this. <laughs> yeah. But let's just hear a few. Probably. Okay, I'm just going to say it. Yeah. Uh, premarital sex. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, All right. I think that... Just that <laughs> we don't have much time left, but go ahead. Yeah. I think that originally, um, as Christians, we... You know, we know that we shouldn't have sex before marriage. Mm -hmm. If you look at a lot of the big cities, um, anywhere in the world, uh, a lot of the media, um, they're portraying premarital yeah. sex as something normal. Normal. Mm -hmm. yeah. Everyone does it. Mm -hmm. It's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Why right. are you making it a big it's a deal? Worthy aspiration. So yeah. yeah. So that's one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What else we got? Sure. I mean, maybe connected in a in a way with that is um, orientation. Okay. Um, that's a hot topic in the political scene and the religious scene right now, um, particularly for those who do not hold scripture as a standard right. that should guide society. It's like, hey, if I'm attracted to the same sex, then that should be okay. Mm -hmm. And as persons who believe the biblical teaching, it kind of can be difficult in these current times to espouse the biblical teaching without being taken as being... Um, prejudice or discriminatory in a way that says, you know, this is what the Bible teaches, so I distance myself. No, that's right. not what we're saying. Right. So that's the teaching right now that's kind of difficult to lift up. That's true. Those are, those are uh, maybe more controversial ones. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking like the traditional Adventist, right. um, the Sabbath yeah, is obviously Sabbath. one that we're always, I mean, we get used to it if we grow up like that, but uh, very different from society, you know. Right. Maybe how we how we uh, separate ourselves, portray ourselves, like and physical appearance, yeah. and sure. there's lots of things in our Christian um, faith and beliefs that conflict with our cultural surroundings, and so when we when we think about when we think about how those things um, conflict, sure. we kind of move into our final question, which is how do you distinguish between what are the essentials of our faith? And what are purely cultural, social, or even personal preferences? Mm -hmm. Okay? So now, you may want to think about the, the ones you, you guys threw out there. Because <laughs> right. now we got to follow up. <laughs> How do you distinguish between what are the essentials of our faith and what are purely cultural? Cultural, social, or even personal preferences. Wow. Because we just nailed them all. This is mm -hmm. a hard question. Yeah. But I think ideally you would want whatever you, you believe in faith to kind of reflect your social and cultural beliefs as well. Mm -hmm. um, yes, uh, uh, our relationships with God are all different because of our culture, because of the way that we have grown up. Mm -hmm. um, however, I think that we all have the same base or we all should have the same ba right. base. Mm -hmm. So I think that just going back to the word is mm -hmm. the only way that I can think of um, just pinpointing what we believe right. and mm -hmm. if it should mm -hmm. shift according to our cultures and yeah. it's very interesting you say that and I think that when we when we look into this a little bit more in our upcoming lesson we'll be even we'll be able to expound even more into it as we talk about how those experiences uh, kind of shape how our culture and religion kind of interact thank you guys so much for for joining us if you would like to contact us, please visit our website at www.sabbathschoolu.org. That's www.sabbathschool.org. Remember, the goal of Bible study is information and transformation. It's for the head and for the heart. For Sabbath School U, I'm Michael Martell.